just title the message as warfare strategies. Amen. Just grant me grace to be able to articulate this message. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So the Bible is the most incredible book I've ever had the honor and privilege of reading. Um, we know that there is astounding knowledge, there is astounding wisdom, power, glory, mystery, and so much more embedded in the pages of the Bible. One thing I truly appreciate about the Bible is that the stories are not sugar-coated, you know? They are not sugar-coated. They are real-life accounts of people and events. So it's just so real. It's just authentic. No exaggerations. And even when we consider certain things as uh, exaggerations, they are actually real-life events. And so we see they are real people, they are real establishments, they are real strengths, and they are real weaknesses. So there's so much we can relate to on a, on a personal level. There's so much we can learn from the various characters that we encounter in the Bible. Some of the characters I greatly admire in scripture are the sons of Issachar and their generations. We, we often mention them as a people who were very conversant with the signs, the times, and the seasons. They knew how to discern the signs, the times, and the seasons, right? Mm -hmm. We know from Jewish tradition that the sons of Issachar and their generations, their bloodlines, were great scholars of the word of God. They knew how to study the word deeply and profoundly. They knew how to interpret and, and uh, apply the scriptures. But not only were they great scholars of the word, they were also great warriors. They were a tribe, a family of great warriors that were well-trained, well-equipped, and consistently battle-ready. So I personally admire this about uh, this particular tribe, and I would love to draw from this example. We can read about the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 5, and we'll also read 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And um, I would kindly request is the woman of God here? Yes. Minister Stephanie? Hey. First Chronicles chapter 7, 1 to 5. The sons of Issachar were Pola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimon, fourth in all. The sons of Pola Uzi, the Bayer, Jeriel, Jamei, Gypsum, Shemuel, heads of their father's house. The sons of Tola were mighty men of valor in their generations. Their number in the days of David 
was 22,600. Sure. The son of Uzi was Israel. Rahia, and the sons of Israhia were Michael, Obadiah, Joel, and Ishiah. All five of them were chief men, and with them, by their generations, according to their fathers' houses, were thirty-six thousand troops of the army ready for war, for they had many wives and sons. Now their brethren among all the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor, listed by their genealogies, 87,000 in all. Amen. If you could read First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 as well. The children of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Amen. So, of course, not that part about having, uh, you know, acquiring many wives, uh, but we also ought to emulate the example that they gave of being uh, great scholars of the word as well as being great warriors, being great men and women of valor who are well-trained, well-equipped, and consistently battle-ready. So we are in a real war. We are in a real war, and we suffer real pain. And yet we are in the winning team. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Jesus. We are in the winning camp. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. And God has already won this battle. God has already won this war. Even though there is a shout of rejoicing in the camp of the righteous, even though there is a shout of victory in the camp of the righteous, the opponents that we are facing in combat should not be underestimated. We can read 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 3, 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 3, 4. And then we'll also look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. And so we will see very clearly that this opponent that we are facing in combat should not be underestimated. 2 Corinthians 4. But even our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Place the emphasis on the God of this age has blinded. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Amen. That's true. Let's have a look at this word whiles. A closer look at this word whiles. And while we're on that, let's place the emphasis on be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And now we look at the word whiles. So the strong concordance defines this word as methodea. Methodea actually means cunning arts. It's, it, it means crafts. A craft is an occupation that requires knowledge and skill. And so the dictionary defines this word whiles as devious or cunning stratagems employed in manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. So the words lure and entice also come up. So the word stratagem actually means a trick in war for deceiving and outwitting the enemy. So all this is pointing towards strategy. It's pointing towards methodology. It is showing us that the opponent that we are facing is highly organized and deceitful and employs tactics that require skill and knowledge. So the opponent that we are facing actually has real power and influence to some extent. And he has the power to control, manipulate ideas, thought process, and even our paradigm or behavior. But why does this occur? Why does this occur? The reason is because human beings themselves have given him jurisdiction. And we will see this later on. Human beings were authorized to have dominion on earth. Human beings have jurisdiction over the earth. Jurisdiction means that they have official power. They have official power to make legal decisions and judgments. So we'll see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. If we could read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. So place the word, uh, an emphasis on the word dominion and place an emphasis on the, on the words be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over those various jurisdictions mentioned. So the word subdue in this context actually means to conquer, to overcome and to bring into subjection. Now let us see something very interesting in Luke chapter four, verse six. Luke chapter four, verse six. And the devil said to him, 
all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. So this is during the temptation of Jesus. The devil is speaking to Jesus in this context, and he indicates that this authority has been delivered to to, to him. So we see here that the opponent that we are facing does not have ultimate authority. There is one who is higher, one who is greater than this opponent to whom this Satan must also submit to. Because there is one who is higher and one who is greater who authorized this jurisdiction to, to this uh, Satan, this devil. And so we know about the tragic fall of man. We know the story of Genesis and what happened, the tragic fall of man and the consequence of sin. And we know that a rift, a chasm was formed between human beings and God. And so when, when human beings sinned against God, when they disobeyed God, they literally gave their jurisdiction to Satan. Humanity and all of creation was plunged into death and darkness. And we see that to some degree, the enemy has um, some authority and influence. However, he does not have the ultimate authority. There is one who is greater. There is one who is higher. And so we thank God for God's glorious intervention through his son, Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we now have the gift of salvation and we also have the power to reconcile our world back to God. So all that was lost can now be redeemed. Amen. 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 And so we see that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Please also read Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen, amen. Please also read John chapter 16, verse 15. Thank you. All these things, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Amen. 
So we see that Jesus Christ has all authority and he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that can be invoked. And we see clearly that all belongs, all that belongs to the Father belongs to Jesus and all that belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. And so we share in his glorious inheritance. So these verses are really powerful and very encouraging, and especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to uh, the place of warfare, to bear in mind that we actually function in the same power and authority as Christ. Amen. 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 And we have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. And so we are actually on the winning side. We are actually uh, already winning this battle. We have already won this battle. Amen. Yes. So um, we can read uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. So much as we share in his suffering, we also share in his glory. And as I said, we, we operate in the same power and authority as Christ. So we should be way ahead of the enemy because God has already blessed us. He has already empowered us to be able to surpass the enemy. We have the power to surpass the enemy. We have the power to, to subdue and conquer the enemy. God has given us all that we need in, in order to overcome the enemy because Christ is far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that can be invoked. And we ourselves, we have been raised up and we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even as we war, we war from a high vantage point. It is from that realm of great power and glory that we wage war. It means that we have a higher perspective of the battlefield. And so we have a, 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 an added advantage. Yes. So one of the greatest weapons we have in the kingdom is the fear of God. It is one of the most under, uh, underrated weapons that we possess. It is often underestimated and overlooked. The fear of God is one of the ways we can subdue the enemy without fighting. The fear of God commands a great deal of power and influence. We see that in Psalms 34 verse 7. Psalms 34 verse 7. And if you could also read it in the Amplified Version. The angel of the Lord and comes all around those who fear him and delivers them. In the Amplified, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him 
who revere and worship him with all, and each of them he delivers. Amen. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is in our camp, who can stand against us? If the Holy One of Israel surrounds us, and if he is the glory that is within us, don't we have all the power, all the protection, and all the influence that we need? And so a kingdom operative that operates in the genuine fear of God is uncompromised. And an uncompromised kingdom operative is a lethal weapon. The devil has nothing on you. The enemy has no jurisdiction on you. Amen. An excellent example of the ultimate kingdom operative that functioned in this manner is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall see that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was hard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Amen. And you can place emphasis on, and was heard because of his godly fear. And then we can read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Amen. And if we could also read Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Luke then, chapter 4, yes. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. And we place emphasis on being filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit, and we see there, it is written. And so, uh, as I said, there's so much we can learn from the various characters in the Bible. And, and our greatest role model is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that there is so much we can learn from the example that he gave. Uh, we see here very clearly that he operated in the fullness of God. And he was also a very effective intercessor and he was an effective prayer warrior. 
And so from all these scriptures, all that we have gathered is that, um, number one, that Jesus was submitted to God. We can see that, that Jesus was submitted to God. We see that uh, Jesus was led and governed by the Holy Spirit. These are actually tactics that we can employ ourselves uh, in the place of warfare. We see that Jesus was also well grounded in scripture. We see that Jesus put the scripture into practice. He wasn't just one who read the word or was a hearer of the word. He was also a doer of the word. He walked in complete obedience to God and he put the word into practice. We see that he used the word as a weapon to combat the enemy. And so we know that the word is a weapon. Jesus clearly understood kingdom protocols. He understood the righteous order of God. We see that he does not submit to the enemy. He does not submit to Satan. He understood uh, that that wasn't the proper order of God. He knew that that wasn't the, the, the righteous order of God. We also see that Jesus exercised godly principles. From the scriptures that we have read, we see that he exercised godly principles such as fasting. We see that he was fasting, that he was exercising principles such as obedience, submission, intercession, holiness, all those are kingdom principles. Then we see that Jesus exercised discernment. So as I said before, a kingdom operative that operates in the genuine fear of God is uncompromised. An uncompromised kingdom operative is a lethal weapon. We are mighty weapons in the hands of our God. Much like Jesus, our master, we have to follow the proper protocol. And the proper protocol is James chapter four, verse seven. submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you amen so if if we are not submitted to God we have no real power over the enemy ah, we must be amen. first submitted to God amen. and then we will have power over the enemy if you are compromised then it will be difficult to defeat the enemy we have to be submitted to God. We have to be submitted to his righteous order before being able to be effective in battle. Amen. And we can ask the sons of Skiva what happens when proper protocol is not followed. Uh, we know what happened. We can get a beating. Okay, so God is our source of authority. God is our source of authority. And as sons of God, we enjoy that legitimate birthright 
that we have received through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are the offspring of the Most High God. We are the legitimate sons of God. In warfare, it is important to understand that human beings were authorized to have dominion on this earth. Human beings were not made to be subject to sin. So if you have sin, then that means you're a compromised kingdom operative. If you have sin, then you compromise yourself and you will not be effective in battle. So Genesis chapter 4, 7. If you do well, if you do well will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But you should rule over it. And there we see that human beings were not made to be subject to sin. So Romans 6, 13 and 14 also emphasizes that. If you could read Romans chapter 6, 13 to 14. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. So what warfare is really about understanding the rights and the privileges that we have in the kingdom. It's all about understanding the jurisdiction that we have. And so once you get that right, then there will be no problem in battle. So human beings were not made to be subject to curses. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Human. Then, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Amen. And we can also read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Amen. So we see that God's original plan was to, to, to bless man from the very beginning, even before the foundation of the world, he had predestined us to be blessed. 
And so uh, human beings uh, were not made to be subject to curses. When we see curses, that's a violation of God's will because that wasn't his original plan. He desired for us to be blessed. So this is important to understand, especially when we are ministering healing and deliverance when we are casting out demons, when we are ministering to people, it is good to understand that God really wants his people to be blessed. And a mm. curse is a disorder. It is, it is not the order of God. And we keep seeing that God blessed, the, blessed Adam and, and Eve in the beginning. That was his original plan. And I was actually surprised when I looked up the word blessed the word blessed, you know, I was kind of thinking of big mansion, Rolls, you know, Rolls Royce, Bugatti, you know, kind of thing. But when I looked up the word blessed, it actually gave me, it means to be made holy, to be consecrated, to be held in reverence. Okay, so that was the first definition. Of course, there is the part about the big mansion. It's not bad. I'm not saying that that's bad. And I'm sure we'd love, um, we would love, <laughs> we would love Psalms uh, 112 that talks about that kind of blessing. Psalms 112. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. Amen. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Amen. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Amen. So the generation of the upright will be blessed. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in our love. And so we see very clearly that we were not meant to be subject to curses. We were meant to be blessed. We were meant to be empowered. We were meant to be blessed. And we were meant to be holy and consecrated unto God. And that's part of being blessed. It's not just about the big mansions, the Bugattis and so on. It's also about being consecrated unto God. And then we see that human beings were not made to be subject to Satan. And when I say Satan, I'm talking about the whole conglomerate. I'm talking about Satan, the adversary in general. I'm speaking about the fallen angels, demons, and clean spirits literally the adversary we were not made made to be subject to unclean spirits we were not made to be subject to demons we were not made to be subject to satan we were not made to be subject to fallen angels and we see that in luke chapter 10 verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. If you could also read uh, Luke 
chapter 10 verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. All the power of the enemy. He has given us authority once again over all the power of the enemy. So, and we see uh, again in James chapter 4, verse 7, which we had read, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee uh, from, from you. And you can also read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Amen. So we see one of the greatest things that Jesus did for us is that he also released us from that bondage that uh, was brought about by that fear of death. And we know that, uh, the, that death is our enemy and that the illegitimate kind of fear is also our enemy. It's not, it's not uh, something that we should tolerate. Uh, and we see that Christ actually delivered us from that. And so we should not be subject to it. Then we can also read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, which is so powerful. When I read it, I was blown away. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Amen. So how can you fear what is subject to you? How can you fear what is subject to you? The word does not teach us to fear Satan. The word teaches us to fear God. And the fear of God is the only legitimate and proper fear that is permitted in the kingdom. In fact, his perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's First John chapter 4, verse 18. When you fear someone or something, you are giving them profound reverence and awe. You are acknowledging that they have the power to subdue you and to have dominion over you. And so... And so the, 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 the only uh, legitimate fear that is permitted in the kingdom of God is the holy reverence of God, the fear of God. That is like, it is like a gateway that opens up to so many blessings. There are tremendous blessings that we can receive when we operate in the fear of God, that when we function in the fear of God, uh, there are tremendous 
blessings that we can acquire in the, in the fear of God. But when we allow ourselves to, to fall into the bondage of fear, then it is like you're saying to that thing that you have dominion over me, that you that I am subject to you, that you have power over me to subdue me. And so when we, this is important to note, to take note, especially when we're doing spiritual warfare or when we're doing things like deliverance, when you're casting out demons, if you fear the demons, then that means you're, you're saying to the demons that, that uh, you have jurisdiction over me. It means that you're saying to the demon that you have the power to subdue me. We are not to fear the enemy. We are not to fear demons. We are not to fear anything but God. God is the only one that we should have holy reverence, that we should give that awe and wonder. So as I said, if you fear Satan, if you fear the fallen angels, the demons, the unclean spirits, you give them jurisdiction. And so even in combat, when you are operating in combat and you are in fear, then you give the enemy jurisdiction and that means you are already compromised. So I now conclude with the principle of agreement, which is also a very powerful principle that we can employ in the area of warfare. The principle of agreement is seen in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Amen. So this is an unbeatable strategy that we can employ in warfare. It's not just about believers agreeing with each other. It is also believers touching and agreeing with God. And so when believers come together in unity with God to make holy decrees and wage war in the spirit, that is absolutely powerful. And so this is also one of the strategies that we can employ uh, when, we are, uh, when we are in warfare. So literally, my, my desire is just to, to encourage each and every one of us and to just speak life into each and every one of us and to encourage you that we truly have the victory as we have seen from all these scriptures. We are on the winning side, we are victorious we are not fighting from a place of, uh, you know, struggling and striving, you know. God has already won this battle and he has already given us all that we need to, to effectively subdue the enemy. So we see once again that we are fighting from a high vantage point and that we have a higher perspective of the battle and the most important thing is not to give the enemy jurisdiction like it's just a matter of understanding uh, the, the the rights and the privileges that we have in the kingdom and understanding uh, the, the jurisdiction that we have because spirits they operate like that they just operate according to what they understand the legal implications of their actions and so they just um, regard us in terms of legal, 
you know, they just look at things in terms of, uh, of, of legalities. They just want to know, do I have jurisdiction here or not? You know, so if you understand your jurisdiction, if you understand the rights and the privileges, then, then you will be even effective in warfare. So I just wanted to encourage each and every one of us with that. And let's just um, be encouraged that the mighty man of war, El Gibor, the mighty Jehovah El Gibor fights for us. Amen? Amen. So if we could just, um, just rise up and just... Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 